I want you to go ahead, if you have not done so yet, and turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, if you'll remember, uh, in Mark chapter 4 so far, what we've seen is we've seen four parables. Jesus uh, is teaching uh, his children, he's teaching his disciples, he's also teaching anyone who has ears to hear and will listen through parables. And Jesus wasn't trying to hide things in parables, he wanted to share the truth in parables, and those who listened to him, those who wanted to hear from him, could. Those who rejected Jesus Christ and rejected the word that he was preaching, well, the parables were confusing to them. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And Jesus even said, uh, what you do have, I'll take away from you if you don't receive me, if you reject me. And so it's been an interesting time in Mark chapter 4 as we've listened to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, The four parables that we see in Mark chapter 4, it's all about the kingdom of God, who God is, who we are, and how we are to operate in this world, how we are to live in this world. Jesus said, hey, go and be the light in a dark world. Go and cast seed, seeds of gospel, gospel salvation into the world. And, and that's how the kingdom grows. And so we get to this passage this morning in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and it's not a parable. It's not a parable. It, it, it's real life. <laughs> it, it, it's true life for the disciples and for Jesus uh, in the boat, out on the water. And When I think about storms, I I was really praying this week, and Monday as I was studying, uh, I knew that some storms were coming this week, all right? And and so Tuesday, I was was in there studying, and then Wednesday came. And Wednesday came, and I knew that we had connected family at my house that night, and so uh, that afternoon, I went back to the kitchen to to turn the ovens on, because I was going to do a little cooking uh, during my lunch break, and the storms got really bad, and and Molly and Andy went to looking for me, and they were like, did, Je- did Jeff just leave us? Did, did he just leave us in the midst of this storm? And, and so I'm a whistler, and so when I walk, I whistle, and when I'm by myself, I whistle. Sometimes I sing, and, and, and it's a good thing I'm by myself because you'd probably turn around and go the other way. But anyway, I guess they heard me back there in the kitchen, and they said, man, we thought you left us. It, it's, it's, it's getting bad out there. There's, there's tornado activity around us, and I was like, Hey, man, we're, we're in the best place. We're in the Lord's house. It's going to be all right. And, and I thought about that. I was like, Lord, you, you had me studying this passage of Scripture, and then you show me what can happen, right, with nature in this world. I also know that last weekend, there was another kind of storm that blew up in my life. It was an unexpected storm. Uh, it was something that kind of grabbed me by my heart. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I, I was fearful. It was something going on, and I, I reached out to my prayer partners, my buddies, and I said, hey, um, something's happened, and I just need you guys to pray for me and pray with me um, because I, I, I don't really understand what's going on, but, but God does, and um, I'm having a hard time right now, and my buddies prayed for me. And so this week, um, it, it's been interesting. It's been interesting, uh, to say the least, that I would be in this passage of Scripture that we would be discussing this passage of Scripture today and that God was showing me some, some storms this week. You know, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. My mom's here, and, and she'll tell you, I used to be so scared of the dark. Uh, I, I hated darkness. Uh, I would try to leave lights on, and I guess when I'd fall asleep, they'd turn them off, and I'd wake up and think, who turned that light off? And I'd turn it back on. One night when I was a little kid, I remember 
I could not sleep, and even though the light was on in, in the hall and kind of piercing through into my room, it wasn't good enough. And I remember uh, I started crying, and I cried out, Daddy, and I didn't hear anything. And I cried just a little bit louder, Daddy. And finally, my daddy got up, and he walked into the room, and he didn't turn the light on. He just opened the door, and I could see him in the door. And I said, Daddy, did you hear me? He said, yeah, I heard you. And he asked me one question, and that question is this, what are you afraid of? That's what he asked me. He asked me, what are you afraid of? And I told him, I said, Daddy, I'm afraid of the dark. He said, why? Why are you afraid of the dark? I said, I'm just, I'm afraid somebody's going to come in that ain't supposed to come in. I mean, I I just, I had to tell him the truth. I was afraid somebody was going to get me. That's what I was afraid of. And my daddy told me, he said, Jeff, I'm right here. I'm right here. Nobody's going to get you. I'm right here. And, And I remember he came and he actually laid down beside me in my bed. And I remember just feeling so safe right? Here's the thing. He didn't turn any lights on. It was still dark. But my daddy was with me. And I was able to close my eyes and go to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and my daddy wasn't there. And I thought that was a cruel, cruel joke to play on a little boy. (laughs) So as we come to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, we see Jesus with his disciples. It's an intense situation. It's an intense circumstance. As a matter of fact, it's a stormy, stormy situation. And Jesus, much like my daddy did uh, that night when I cried out, you know, Daddy, Daddy, Jesus, he, he knew his disciples were in a difficult place. He knew it was a stormy situation. But, but the question Jesus asked, it was a little different than the question my daddy asked. See, my daddy asked, what are you afraid of? But the question Jesus asks his disciples is this, why, not what, he says, why are you so afraid? Now, I want you to think about that question as we look at God's Word today, as we study God's Word today. Why are you so afraid? I want you to think about that question as it pertains to the disciples Uh, in the midst of this storm, right? I want you to look at the the Scripture. I want you to look at the context. But I also want you to think about that question. He asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? But I want you to think about that question this morning from your vantage point. I I want you to think about it right now in your life. Why are you so afraid? Think about it in the midst of the storms that you've been through. Maybe in the storms right now. Maybe right now there's storms brewing and blowing in your life, or maybe maybe you can sense that a storm is coming. I want you to think about that question that Jesus asked. Why? Why are you so afraid? I'll tell you what Jesus wanted from his disciples, and it's the same thing Jesus wants today. Jesus wants us to trust him. That's really what it all comes down to. Jesus wants us to trust Him. He wants us to trust Him with and in every area of our lives. And I believe that's what we'll see in Scripture today. Now what I want to do is, this is a short passage, and I could certainly read through the whole passage very quickly, but 
I want us to look at this passage really uh, slowly this morning. I want us to, to investigate this passage uh, very, very um, detailed, okay? And so I want to start out in these first two verses, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. Listen to what it says. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So Jesus and his disciples, let's think about context for just a moment. Uh, This has been a long day. Jesus has been teaching uh, the parables. We know he's been teaching. Uh, He's been leading people. He's been guiding people. And so Jesus and his disciples, where they've been is they've been in Capernaum. And they've been in other towns in Galilee. They've been throughout the Jewish community on the western banks of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, he's been preaching. He's been teaching, he's been healing, he's been doing so much for the people. But now, he's finished his parables, he's finished this time on the shore teaching the people, the crowds have dispersed, maybe a few of them got in some boats and tried to get out on the water with him so that they could be with him, maybe follow him. But what we see in this passage is that Jesus, right, he has intention with everything he does. He doesn't just accidentally do things. He is always intentional with anything and everything that he does. And what we see in this passage before anything else is that Jesus leads his disciples to the other side. He leads his disciples to the other side. The other side is the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. They've been on the western side. Now they're going to go over to the eastern side, which means he's going to lead them from Jewish communities over to Gentile communities. This is very, very important. We'll see that in chapter 5. He's going to go to the Gerasenes. He's going to go over to the Decapolis. The Bible tells us right here that the disciples took him along as he was. Now, if you'll study the Greek language, if you look at the original Greek language, this is very, very important. The Greek language tells us that this was an urgency that Jesus had. Okay? This was an urgency. This wasn't like him looking around, maybe trying to feel which way the wind was blowing, right? No, this was intention and it was urgency. Jesus intended to go to the other side and he wanted to go right now. There was a sense of urgency on Jesus' part. But also in the Greek language, when you look at the the actual Greek wording, it also shows us confusion on the part of the disciples. The disciples were confused. Why would we go to the other side? We've got lots of people right here who, who want to hear Jesus, who want to see Jesus. Why would we go over there? See, the other side was the Gentile land. And I'm going to tell you something. Um, Maybe it was the Gentile land that caused them to be confused. Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus, while they were in the boat, said, let's go to the other side. Maybe they looked out across the water and said, wait a second. That's a long way. And we know what can happen on these waters at any given moment. See, Jews did not ordinarily go to the other side. 
They did not want to go over to the other side and spend time with pagans in Gentile lands. That, that was not their intention, if you want to call it that. They did not intend to do that. Many scholars, as you study this passage of Scripture, especially that Greek language, they will tell you that it was both the risk of the Gentile lands going into a pagan land and the risk on these open waters of the Sea of Galilee that the disciples would have been looking around going, why? Why are we going over there and why are we doing it in the boat? They were confused. A lot of theologians will tell you they were even doubting. Doubting the intention and the urgency and the purpose of the Lord. Now, you know as well as I do, several of these disciples were known as fishermen. Fishermen. And you might say, well, Brother Jeff, if they were fishermen, surely they were comfortable on these waters. Surely they knew what they were doing on these waters. However, that does not change the Jewish cultural view of the waters and the open sea. Marty, Marty Solomon in the Bema podcast, he says this, large bodies of water were pictures of chaos. They were pictures of chaos. And even though some of these disciples were known as fishermen, they usually fished in the shallow portions of the water, staying close to the shoreline. They would not intentionally venture out into the deep waters. Now, theologians and scholars also tell us that the Sea of Galilee is up to five miles wide in some of its widest points. Some of you have been there, and you've walked on those shores, and maybe you've even gotten out in those waters, and you've seen it with your eyes. I have not yet been able to do that. I'm praying that the Lord will one day make that uh, an option for me, make that available to me, and so I just have to look at pictures, and I just have to take theologians at their word, but I don't know about you, five miles is a long way. That's a long way. I I went running last weekend. I went running, and uh, my goal that day was five miles. I was going to run five miles, and so I got to my, I got, kind of got to my turnaround mark, and I thought, you know what? I feel good. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep running. And so I I ran past my marker, and once I ran past my marker, I was like, well, you know what? Instead of turning around, I'll just take this other road, and I'll go all the way back to my house. And what I forgot was, (laughs) is that that five miles quickly turned into 10. Yeah, it turned into 10. Listen, five miles is a, that's a pretty good ways. On land, can you imagine five miles on the water? Right, five miles out? I mean, According to theologians, that means once they got two and a half miles out, then they were two and a half miles away from either shore. And and so this was dangerous. This was chaotic. The theologians also tell us that the Sea of Galilee is around 690 to 700 feet below sea level and surrounded by mountainous regions. So what that means is that it is a natural funnel, right, for the winds to just pour out onto the Sea of Galilee from all different directions. And so the Sea of Galilee is known for stormy waters and stormy winds. I want to ask you a question before we go any further. Do you think Jesus could sense the confusion of his disciples? Do you think he could feel their doubt? I'm going to tell you, I I say yes. And the reason I say yes is, as you've seen already, 
through the first three chapters of Mark, the Pharisees and the teachers, right? The religious leaders, when they were thinking something in their mind or when they were thinking something in their heart, they didn't even have to say it out loud and Jesus started talking to them, right? About what they were thinking and about what they felt in their hearts. And so if he can do that with the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he can certainly do that with his disciples. Jesus knows. He knows they are confused. He knows that they have doubts. But what, what did Jesus come to do? I want to I backtrack for just a moment. What did Jesus come to do? He came to preach the gospel. I cannot say that enough. So many times we think, right, that Jesus came to, to, to put me in a safe place or Jesus came to make me feel good or Jesus came to do this for me and that for me. I'm going to tell you, when you read the book of Mark, Jesus makes it very clear. He came to preach the gospel. Because it is salvation for your soul. That's what Jesus came to do. As a matter of fact, don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word. Mark chapter 1 verse 38. He came to preach a message of repentance and belief. Repent of your sin and believe in me. He showed the disciples this same thing by reaching out to those around him. Right? He even reached out to those around him that the religious leaders did not want to touch, did not want to be associated with. And now what Jesus does is he's showing his disciples, he's teaching his disciples, I didn't just come for the Jews, I came for everyone. Listen, Jesus, he preaches the good news to all people. And that's what we see. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Right? The side you're not comfortable with, the side that you might not intentionally go to, that's where we're going. See, Jesus, he he was doing this intentionally, and he was doing it with urgency. He came to preach the gospel to all people. Jesus shows them and takes them further, right, than they ever would have gone on their own. So Mark chapter 4, verse 37 and 38 says this. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Don't miss that. It didn't say it was swamped. It said it was what? Nearly swamped. (laughs) Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I'm going to ask you real quick before I go any further. Does this sound like another story maybe we've seen in the Old Testament? Does it remind you of the story of Jonah? When a storm came up and somebody was asleep in the boat, right? There's one difference though. This is the perfect Jonah. Yeah, this is the one who submits to the Father's will and does the Father's will without question. Furious squall came up. The waters broke over the boat. It was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care If we drown. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? The disciples were shook, right? I mean, there's no doubt. They were shook, right? They were shook physically. They were shook mentally, emotionally. I'm going to tell you something. They were shook spiritually. So what happens? This is what I would call an extraordinary storm. This is an extraordinary storm out on the Sea of Galilee. 
Now, from a natural standpoint, from nature's standpoint, this is what is called a furious squall. That's the way Mark records it. Matthew says the same thing. Even Luke, in their Gospels, they call it a furious squall. Again, most, if not all, of these disciples, they had faced storms on the Sea of Galilee. They'd seen it. They had been in it. But this storm is different, okay? This is what I like to call not just an extraordinary storm. This is a supernatural storm. A supernatural storm. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. Dr. Tony Evans, he reminds us of this. In this passage, it appears that the disciples have not done anything wrong. Jesus had commanded them to get in the boat with him, and they were in the perfect center of God's will, yet they were also in a place, in a situation that was life-threatening. That's what Dr. Tony Evans says. So think about this for just a moment. Jesus said... We're going over there. We're going to the other side, and we're going in the boats to the other side. We're going to go across this sea, the Sea of Galilee, to the other side. The disciples, they got in the boat, right? They, 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 they were in the boat with him, and they took off. That doesn't mean they didn't understand, because I'm going to tell you something, they didn't understand, right? They were confused. They were even doubtful. There's no There's no doubt about it. They were doubtful. They were confused by what was going on. They knew what could happen. And what could happen did happen. A storm came. But it wasn't just any storm that they were used to. This was an extraordinary storm. And to them, right, the way they felt, and not just the way they felt, but the way they thought, what did they think and what did they feel? Say it out loud. We're going to die. We're going to drown. And Jesus is over there asleep. I mean, he's, he's rolled up on a cushion sleeping. Now, what do we already know about Jesus that we found out in the book of Mark and we found out in the gospel? Jesus is divinely, right? He is divinely God. But he is also human. He, he is both God and man. He's the God-man. And so we need to understand that. Now, you could talk about, well, Jesus, uh, he needed sleep. He was tired. I do believe he was tired. But I also believe this was an intentional rest. This was an intentional rest. And I believe he was trying to show his disciples something and teach them something even in his rest. See, I believe Jesus uses this storm to grow his disciples spiritually. That's what he does. He uses this storm to grow his disciples spiritually. I'm reminded of that passage in James. You know that passage, James chapter 1. What does it say in verses 2 through 4? It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Another one of my favorite pastors is Pastor R. Kent Hughes. He says this in his commentary. He says the disciples had no way of knowing at this moment, but this extraordinary storm was a vehicle for teaching them about God and his kingdom 
and His power in their lives, this storm was essential. Listen to that again. This storm was essential for their spiritual development. Think about that for just a moment. These men had been walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus. They were with Jesus when he touched people and healed them, when he gave blind men sight, when he, he had lame men walk up, get up and walk again. They were right there. They were growing in their faith. Listen, they were, they were growing in their understanding. But I'm going to tell you something. These disciples were not perfect. They were just like you and me. They were sinners who needed saving. They, they were sinners who needed saving. They were, they were believers who needed to grow in their faith. This was not an accidental storm. This was an extraordinary storm with a purpose. And I believe this storm, what it does is it exposes the disciples' doubts. It exposes their doubts. I truly believe Jesus was using these moments on the chaotic waters on the Sea of Galilee to teach them, to grow them. But I also believe he was preparing the disciples for what they would face on the other side. What they would face the next morning, what they would face, face the next day, even when they go back to their homes, what they would face the next month, the next year, for the rest of their lives. I believe Jesus was intentional. In what he was doing, and this storm exposed their doubts. Listen, they didn't just doubt their livelihood. It, it's easy to say, well, they doubted that they were going to live. I'm going to tell you something. They doubted the, the care and the compassion of their teacher, too. Do you see that? It wasn't just doubt that they were going to live. It was doubt in the compassion and the care of their teacher. They asked him, don't you care? Stop right there for just a minute. Don't you care? Have you ever asked God that? In the midst of your storm? Whatever it might have been. Physical. Relational. Financial. Whatever the storm might look like, might feel like, might be in your life. Have you ever gotten to that place where you stopped and said, God, don't you care? I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been there more than I want to admit. How many times? How many times have we faced the extraordinary storms? How many times have we faced the unexpected extraordinary storms in our lives? How many times have we come face to face with our doubts? Maybe asking those kind of questions, don't you care? Or maybe it's this, God, do you really love me? God, what are you doing? God, God, what are you trying to show me? God, God, where is your power? God, where is your protection? God, what is your purpose? Have you ever been there before? I want to talk about doubt for just a minute. Because it might seem to you on the surface that these disciples are dealing with the waves of the waters. And maybe from a physical standpoint they are, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something a lot more dangerous than the physical waves and the waters. It's called the waves of doubt. The waves of doubt. And the crashing, right, of the waves of doubt in a believer's life. Let me tell you what doubt means. 
Doubt means to call into question that what is true. It means to call into question that what is true. It means to be uncertain. It means to lack confidence. To lack confidence. Do you know what doubt does? Doubt leads to overwhelming fear. And I'm not talking about fear that is a good thing. I'm talking about a worldly kind of fear. It's the kind of fear that says, what will this storm do to me physically? What will this storm do to my house? What will this storm do to my finances? What will this storm do to this relationship and that relationship? What, what will this person do to me? That's what doubt does. Doubt exposes fear in our lives. And that fear and that doubt is to be uncertain. It's to call into question what is truth. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 31, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but can kill the soul, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy the both, soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Here's what Jesus says in verse 31. So don't be afraid. That's what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. Don't you doubt your father's care for you. That's what Jesus says. Jesus wants his believers, he wants his followers to trust him. Not just when you're on the mountain and the sun is shining and you're sniffing the flowers. He wants you to trust him when the waves are crashing against you. It reminds me of King David. You remember King David before he was king? He was a little shepherd boy. You remember this? He was a little shepherd boy that was taking some cheese to his brothers out on a battlefield. We just talked about this in one of our Wednesday night connected family studies. He was just taking some cheese to his brothers because his daddy wanted to go check on them. And when he got there, he found a bunch of scared men, didn't he? He found a scared king and a scared army, a bunch of scared men. Scared of what? A giant that was taunting them, a giant that was speaking curses against their God and against his people. And you know what David said? In in my own words, he basically looked around and said, why are y'all scared? Don't, Don't you serve God Almighty? Why would you let this guy do that? Why would you do that? Remember what David did? David said, I'll find him. I'll fight him. You want to know why? Because David had confidence, not in himself, in the God who created him and the God who breathed breath into his body, the God he served. He had confidence. He had surety in God. And so David went out, and you know what happened? He slew that giant. He slew that giant with a little slingshot and a little little stone that he picked up. Do you think David was immune to doubt? Do you think David was immune to fear? Well, you better keep reading. 
Because what we find is that David had to face trials in his life. Many of them were self-inflicted trials. Some of them were trials. Some of them were storms that God not just allowed but even caused because he wanted David to trust him. Listen to this. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, Psalm of David. This is what David says. When I am afraid. He doesn't say if I'm afraid. He says when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's what King David says. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, David wasn't immune to worldly fears. He wasn't, a, he wasn't immune to doubt. He faced it just like we do. He just made a choice to turn his fears and turn his doubt over to God Almighty. God, I'm scared, but I'm going to give it to you. God, I have doubts, but I'm going to give it to you. See, what David did was he chose to exchange his fear of this world for a fear of God. Because you know what the fear of God does? The fear of God gives you, leads you to what? Wisdom and understanding. It's a beautiful relationship between God the Father and His children. It's a loving relationship. And you know what Jesus says? You know what His disciple John says? John says, perfect love casts out what? All fear. Go read the letters of John. He'll tell you about that perfect love, that loving relationship with God. With that loving relationship with God, it begins with humility and fear of God. An awe, a respect for God, an understanding of who He is and who we are. I believe this. If you want to replace doubt with something, replace it with trust. Replace it with trust. Give God your doubts. And what he'll do is he'll give you this thing called trust. Let me tell you what trust is. It's the exact opposite of doubt. Trust means to be sure. It means to be sure. It means to rely upon the character, the ability, and the strength and the truth of someone, namely God. It means to be confident. To be confident. It reminds me of a song on my running. I have a playlist when I listen to music while I'm running. And it reminds me of a song by Sanctus Real called Confidence. Some of you know it. He just keeps saying, I'm confident. I'm confident of my God. What God did with David and Goliath, God will do with me and my Goliath today. I'm confident in who God is and who I am as his child. I'm confident in whatever he has me in, whether it's the storm or the peaceful waters. I'm confident. I have trust So just like doubts expose fears, do you know what trust does? Trust leads to hope. It exposes hope. And I'm going to tell you something. When your hope is Jesus Christ, you will not be let down. Do you hear me? When your hope is Jesus Christ, you will not be let down. He never fails. He never fails. If you want to learn more about that, you come tonight at 6 o'clock. Because Joshua is going to talk about our God who never fails. He keeps every promise he makes. Every promise. And so trust leads to hope, whereas doubt leads to fear. What does Jesus want? Jesus wants us to trust him. That's all he wants. He wants us to trust him. So watch what Jesus does. His disciples ask the question, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39. He got up. 
rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Notice this. It didn't just gradually die down. No, it died down immediately. This wasn't just nature doing its thing. This was nature being obedient to the creator of nature. (laughs) That's what it was. The wind died down and it was completely calm. Verse 40, he said to his disciples, look at this, why are you so afraid? And there it is. He didn't ask them, what are you afraid of, right? He asked them, why are you? Because here's the thing. If he would have asked, what are you afraid of? They could have said, this storm. They could have said, of dying. Jesus already knew that. He didn't want them to talk about the storm, and he didn't want, to talk about, he didn't want them talking about dying. He asked a very important question. He said, why are you so afraid? And then he asked another question. Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? And look at verse 41. They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. (laughs) What a powerful, powerful conversation. Jesus rebukes the storm with power. That's what he does. Jesus rebukes the storm with power. The creator who spoke all things into existence, the creator spoke and creation immediately obeyed. Again, this wasn't just, oh, the wind stopped blowing over there so it made it a lot easier over here. No, this was the wind saying, yes, sir. And stopping all around. This wasn't just the waves gradually. Have you ever been out in a boat, right? You may have been skiing. I remember Don used to take us skiing all the time. And one of the things he liked to do was he liked to, when you fell off the, the, the kneeboard or the skis, he liked to pull up and make you think he was fixed to pick you up. And what he did was he turned that thing on full power and splashed you with waves. Yeah. He wanted you to know who the boss was. And it wasn't you. He was the one driving the boat. You were in the waters and you were at his mercy. I still remember those days. He was teaching us lessons whether he knew it or not. <laughs> but, 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 you know, eventually those waves kind of settled down, right? I'm going to just tell you something. The waves didn't just gradually settle down. They stopped. They stopped because the creator of the waves said, be still. Don't ever, ever misinterpret that. Because I'm going to tell you, people in our world will say, oh, but it was this, or oh, but it was that. I'm going to tell you, it was Jesus. Nothing else and no one else. Jesus said, quiet, be still, and they stopped. The Greek word here is not just quiet. The Greek word is be muzzled, right? In other words, somebody's doing something. It wasn't just a gradual winding down. It was an immediate stoppage. And I believe that's what Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 1. If you want to talk about creation... Yeah, we can look at Genesis, but go look at Colossians chapter 1 as well, because Paul says, uh, in Christ, all things were created. In Christ, all things were created. And they were created for Christ. And so Jesus, he rebukes the storm with power, but the rebuking doesn't stop there. Because I'm going to tell you something, Jesus rebukes his disciples too. 
But he, he rebukes his disciples with love. See, I believe these questions, these questions, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I believe these questions, Jesus is pointing, pointing them to truth. He wants his followers to know him. And I know this, when you look at the Gospel of John, especially knowing Jesus, God the Son is knowing God the Father. And so Jesus wants them to know him because to know him is to know God the Father. His question is not what are you afraid of, it's why are you afraid. I'm going to tell you why they were afraid. They had no control. That's why. They were afraid because they had no control. They had no control of the wind. They had no control of the waves. They felt like they were going to die. Yet the one who did have control over the storm was with them in the boat. (laughs) He was right there the whole time. And so what happened was the disciples' worldly fears overwhelmed their faith. Dr. David Jeremiah says this, Jesus did not discount the dangers that the disciples faced. Rather, he rebuked them for their doubt in his ability to save them. That's why he rebuked them. And you look at their response. So look at their response again. Their response, after Jesus got up, said, quiet, be still, their response was, who is this? And you might be thinking they're asking that question like, we don't know. It's actually not that kind of question. See, the disciples responded to Jesus correctly. Their question was actually a statement of faith. They respond to Jesus' compassion and his power with who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Don't forget this. These disciples were Jewish boys who had grown up as men. They know the scriptures. They they know the scriptures. They know the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you something. They know the Psalms. And and here's what I want to do for just a moment. In closing, I want to take you to two Psalms that these boys would have known that these men on the waters with Jesus would have known. When Jesus got up and said, quiet, be still, and the wind and the waves immediately stopped, right? They didn't have to say that question out loud, who is this, as a, we don't get it. No, they did get it. And what they were doing was they were pointing back to Old Testament Scripture. Follow me here. Psalm 107, it'll be on the screen. Psalm 107, listen to this. Beginning in verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, His wonderful deeds in the deep. For He spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. Let me just tell you something. Sometimes God allows the storms in your life, but don't miss this. Sometimes God causes the storm. In your life. Don't miss that. It says, for he spoke, verse 25, he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. That was courage in themselves. Right? It melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. You ever been there before? You ever been at your wit's end? I've been there recently. It ain't no fun. Then they cried out. Then they cried out. 
So now they know they don't have the strength to do anything. Now they, now they know they can't think their way out of this. Then, look at verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. That word hushed right here, it's the same Greek word, quiet. It means to be muzzled. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of elders. Let me just tell you something. God is always in control. Always. I don't care what social media tells you. I don't care what this country says or that country says or this governor or this president says. God is always in control and God will always have the final word. Always. If you're fearful of this country and that country, of this leader or that leader, if you're fearful of this physical thing or that physical thing, you need to take care of that fear right now. You need to... You need to exchange that fear for a godly fear. You need to replace your doubt with trust. Those disciples, they got it. They got it. When they said, who is this? It was a statement of faith. This is the creator. This is the one in control. How do I know that? Psalm 89. Watch this. Psalm 89, verses 5 through 9. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly, what's the word? Feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Look at the first four words of verse 8. Who is like you. What was this question that the disciples asked on the boat? Who is this? I'm telling you, and I believe this with every fiber of my body, the disciples were quoting Scripture. I believe it. I believe it. The disciples weren't asking a question filled with doubt. They were stating a question filled with trust. Who is this? This is Jesus. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Look at this. Verse 8. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. I'm going to tell you. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. And all scripture has a purpose and an intention. And it is to point us to Jesus Christ. It is to reveal and show us the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. Every scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, points us to Jesus. It is not accidental. It is not coincidental. It all ties together. And I believe these two Psalms work perfectly into this moment, right? When they were on the storm, this extraordinary storm, this unexpected storm, they looked around and thought, what in the world is going on? Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He never, never does things by coincidence. He always does things, right? 
with providence. Providence. So I'm going to tell you something. And you'll either walk out of here believing it or you won't. No matter the storm in your life, no matter the storm in your life, you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. You can trust Him right here, right now, and you can trust Him forever. Whether God has allowed a storm to come in your life, whether God has caused a storm to come in your life, the result will always be the same. He is faithful, He is just, and He always works for your good. If you don't believe my word, believe God's word, Romans Paul says it, God works all things, right? For good, for those who what? Love the Lord. What does Jesus want from his disciples? He wants them to trust him. Let me ask you a question right now. What does Jesus want more right now from you than anything else? Nope, it's not come to church. Nope, it's not sign up for this ministry team or that ministry team. Nope, it's not to do this good deed or that good deed. Do you know what Jesus wants from you right now more than anything else? He wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. He knows exactly where he wants you to go. He knows exactly when he wants you to go. And he knows exactly what he wants you to do. And you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to be fearful because this world shows you or tells you something else. When you are a child of God, right, you are under His care. And His care, right, His care is good. If He takes care of the sparrows, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you're worth a whole lot more than the sparrows. If He takes care of the sparrows, He'll take care of you. So here's my question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I don't know how to answer that. I don't even know what I don't even know what context that has in your life right now. Why are you so afraid? Because I'm gonna tell you, if you breathe in air, you're afraid about something right now in your life. Whether it's a relationship, a job, whether it's you know financial, physical. Maybe even spiritual. Why are you so afraid? I didn't say, what are you afraid of? I said, why are you so afraid? Trust in the Lord. And lean not on what your own understanding. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. I'm going to tell you something. I, I don't understand some things that have happened in my life the last few weeks, the last few months. I, don't, I still don't understand. But I'll tell you this, I have no doubt that God's got me. And God's got it. And you know what? I might still be in the midst of this storm, but my fear is in the Lord and not in the storm. And I have peace right now. <laughs> peace that nobody and nothing can take away from me. I put my trust in Him. Isn't that what King David said? I put my trust in Him. My fear is in the Lord, not in this world. And that is how and that is why I can walk in peace. It's the peace that passes all understanding. It's the peace of God 
that only comes through Jesus.